Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 5, Episode 9. My name is Timitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And uh, Jonathan just reminded me of a bit of fact check here. This is actually episode nine. Last week was episode eight, even though I said it was episode seven. No, is that right? I'm confused. Depends how they list it in your, uh, you know, particular regions. Some places we had, you know, a combined premiere and some we split it into two episodes. And so (laughs) forever will the archivists (laughs) argue about exactly exactly where the episode we're sticking to it. Yeah. We did that once on episode on the More Than Just Code. We had two episodes that were part one and part two because we were concerned about the length of the shows. And then we just said, screw it and just kept going on, on subsequent episodes. Let me check the Apple podcast app because that's the one that always tells me what numbers they are. Because Apple asks us not to use numbers on the episodes. So you, no, don't play it. <laughs> Mike, stop. Mike, stop. Stop, Mike. Boy, boy, he's obedient. Um, How do I get to the uh, listing on that? Like, how do I get to the show? This is why I don't use the Apple Podcast app, because it sucks. <laughs> oh, come on. Recently updated podcast. Oh, yeah. Okay, so. Yeah, see, Apple Apple puts a number in front of the episodes, right? Like, for the seasons. So, it's so episode one, grounded. See, we should have done, like, yeah, totally. I mean, we should have done episode one and two as part one and part two, shouldn't we have? Right? Bat Left yeah. Us was number three. Isn't it just a sneak? It was number four. Three Rings, Two Ends, and a Moth was number five. House of Kool-Aid Man was number six. A Warm Welcome was number seven. That was last week's episode. Or no, two weeks ago. And then The Borg 101 was episode number eight. So this is episode number nine. 
Fact Hooray. check complete. We need a fact check complete sound. <laughs> That'll do it. All right. Uh, well, no, actually, oh, that's, yeah, that's, as I scrolled, I thought I made a fact check from last week. I got scared there for a minute. All right. Anyway, we're just going to jump right into the headlines with some really, really sad news. Yeah, this happened uh, the day after our last episode. We got the horrible news that uh, the the longest uh, running person to portray Batman uh, has unfortunately died. Kevin Conroy, who was the voice of Batman and Batman in the Animated Series, Batman uh, the, the movies, uh, animated movies, for the past 30 years, uh, had unfortunately died last week in, in, a, in a shock. I, I don't think many people knew that he was ill. He was only 66 years old. Uh, he had a short battle with cancer, uh, uh, was, was the story. Um, man, I mean, you know, he was, you know, from, from 1992 onwards, that's 30 years ago, he was Batman. Uh, you know, I've, I've said before, but when I am reading a Batman comic... I can't help but hear Kevin Conroy's Batman voice anymore. Like, he's my Batman. As much as I've loved some of the performances over the years of different actors, uh, you know, on, on different, you know, platforms, I just, uh, he's he's my Batman. And, and it's just it's so heartbreaking that he's he's gone so soon. On top of the television programs, which he's well known for, he did do a bunch of the animated pictures that they did over the years uh, based on the animated series. And then some of the later ones, he even did like the Batman Superman, Public Enemies. He did the, some of the Justice League stuff. Uh, but where a lot of people probably got to know him, you know, who, who aren't necessarily into animation, was he did the voice of Batman in the Arkham series of video games. And they were immensely popular. And he killed it in those games. He was so good. So. Yeah, it's just, uh, I just, it's one of those people I just cannot believe he's gone. I can't believe we're not going to hear more of his voice, but I'm I'm at least satisfied with the fact that, you know, he left a really indelible legacy. I think it's going to take a long time before we have another performer, voice or otherwise, who really makes such an indelible mark on, on that role. Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, in, I guess you could say the same thing about Mark Hamill, too, as, as the Joker, because most people think of him as Luke Skywalker, right? But... He's yeah made quite a name for himself in in the anime world or animation animation world as as the Joker right so yeah I'm sure there are people who just know him as that as that right yeah yeah unfortunately I haven't really watched many of the animated um, Batman's right so I, I do know I do recognize the voice because of course I've heard it a number of times you know as a passing passing by kind of thing you know yeah but uh, yeah I know what you mean about sort of being the iconic sound that you expect right yeah. And um, as the article, um, you know, I've got one from Variety.com, but as, as it points out, you know, it was also kind of a milestone too. you know, Kevin was openly gay and he was the first openly gay actor to, to play the role as well. And that's not a small milestone as well. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, sad to have somebody go. Uh, 66 is pretty, pretty young for that sort of thing. Um, I did see on, uh, of course, the outpouring on social media, because a lot of folks um, as you said, you know, thought of him as sort of like an iconic voice of Batman. And I did notice that a lot of, um, um, like video player type stuff was promoting the animated series. So that's, uh, I don't know if that's an algorithmic thing or people wanted to do that as a tribute. Either way, it was kind of nice to see that on my, uh, my smart TV home screen kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully he gets and continues to get the kind of do that he's gotten a little bit more over the past few years. I think there's definitely been more respect paid 
in the era of the Andy Circuses of the world, of the people who are doing, you know, the motion capture, the voice acting, to really give them the credit they're due as performers, not just, you know, they're, they're not, you know, just robots reading lines from a page of dialogue. They are performers. And, and, you know, Kevin was a talented one, an extremely talented one who really brought a lot of, of you know, nuance and, and, and just depth to the character of Batman just using his voice, you know? And again, it's, it's hard with an animated series. You, you don't get, you know, those, you know, micro moves in people's faces and the things that really help you emote. So everything really had to be brought to life by this, this actor's voice. And, and he did it so wonderfully. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he definitely got a little more love, you know, later on. I think there was still, even in the mid nineties, I remember when it came on, I, I was, you know, episode one, day one on, on Batman, the animated series, just because I loved that style. I loved Bruce Timm's artwork. I loved uh, everything about that series and, and still do, but I'm, I'm glad that uh, it's sort of been pulled out of that unfortunate ghetto that so many comic characters and, and comic properties, animated properties have been in and, and relegated to where, you know, oh, it's a kid's show. Oh, it's, you know, the, the belittling, the, the lack of integrity that people give it because they think it's puerile or otherwise. I mean, that was not that. He, he elevated that into something else. He, he and the rest of the people who worked on it. So I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that, that he is, you know, I was happy to see he got a New York Times obit. Like this was dealt with as the same way as any other star. And he was a star and he deserved to be treated like a star. All right. Well, we'll, we'll move on from that to uh, <laughs> this story that made me laugh this week where uh, Rafe Fiennes, who uh, for some reason spells his name R-A-L-P-H, but calls himself Rafe, uh, decided that uh, when asked at the premiere of his new movie, The Menu, when asked if he would be interested in reprising his role as Lord Voldemort, now that uh, Warner Brothers is talking about making more Harry Potter movies, he said, uh, of course, of course, I no question about it. He said, I would love to come back and play uh, Voldemort again. And then he decided to kick that a little further and he went on to uh, a spirited defense of J.K. Rowling uh, and the controversy she's gone through. He said that, um, wait, JK, did he do it as Voldemort or did it as Ray Fiennes? I don't know. I, I don't know if I could do justice to it either. JK Rowling has written these great books about empowerment, about young children finding themselves as human beings. He told the New York times last month. It's about how much, uh, it's about how you become a better, stronger, more morally centered human being. The verbal abuse directed her is disgusting and it's appalling. I can understand a viewpoint that might be angry at what she says about women. Fiennes continued. But it's not some obscene, uber-right-wing fascist. It's, a, it's just a woman saying, I'm a woman, and I feel I'm a woman, and I want to be able to say that I'm a woman, and I understand where she's coming from, even though I'm not a woman. Um, interesting choice. Um, I'm sure there are people that will agree with him. I'm sure there are people who will vehemently disagree with him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we talked about this last week, how the decision to, uh, by Warner Brothers to pitch the idea of going back and doing more Harry Potter movies and also to become re-involved with uh, J.K. Rowling was going to not be without its uh, its discussion points. And so Ray Fiennes has fired the first shot. Uh, any thoughts on this uh, declaration of, of support? No. <laughs> <laughs> For me, <laughs> I think his, um, his take on it is a little bit more nuanced than some of the, the online rhetoric 
tends to be. So I can appreciate that, even though I don't necessarily uh, sort of agree with his his specific take on it. Um, and I do kind of find it interesting that uh, Tim broached the question of whether he was maintaining kayfabe as Voldemort, and uh, <laughs> I find that kind of uh, amusing, given that uh, you know Voldemort, the uh, the Dark Lord kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when Voldemort's in your corner, corner, it's all good. Yeah, definitely. Well, especially when you know. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I said I had no opinion. There you go. I have no opinion. Um. But I think, uh, by the way, just on the pronunciation, I believe that's the proper uh, English type pronunciation. For vowel? I don't know if it's I don't know if it's Gaelic or Celtic or whatever, but I believe it is. Yeah, All we'll fact check it. All right. How about that? We'll fact check it. I'm sure somebody's uh, probably covered that particular subject for sure. All right. I mean, what's happening in Thanksgiving time for the American people? I'm glad you pointed that out. So for American Thanksgiving timeframe, which that is coming up on November 24th, um, Disney is deciding to do some of that more cross-promotional kind of thing for its series. We've seen this sort of thing happen, um, certainly with, uh, well, maybe not Paramount Plus. Yes, I guess Paramount Plus did some stuff with the Halo series, but uh, when it was CBS All Access, they had, uh, I think, the first season of Star Trek Discovery uh, available for free on uh, normal CBS over-the-air broadcast in anticipation of season two of Discovery coming out. And this is a little bit less than that for Andor, but Disney has said, you know what? We own ABC, FX, Freeform, and Hulu, so why don't we give people uh, the first two episodes of Andor for free um, on, on various days and times and uh, see if that gets people interested given that by the time that that happens, uh, it would be just about wrapped up here for... Um, in fact, we will be wrapped up with Andor. So if you enjoyed the first taste that was free, you can go sign up for Disney+, Plus. I think is the idea. And it's going to be a while before we get to see the, the rest of it, right? Like, Yeah, season two's not coming until next year at the earliest. Although uh, I, I heard an interview with Tony Gilroy the other day, and he said he's in England now starting to work pre-production. So maybe maybe we'll get it sooner than I think. but. But I mean, like the, the the thing is, they're going to show the two episodes and then expect people to get Disney Plus as yep. a result of that. Is that is that the idea? You know, it's it's a stumbling block, right? There isn't uh, like that freemium yet. I forget where they're at with the the ad tiers and stuff. Everybody's in the testing phase of that stuff. But like the basic idea is, you might say, "Yeah, I don't know if I want to pony up for for Disney Plus." So they give you just a little bit free here to see. Well, what do you think about this? And if you don't like it, well, whatever, you, you know, just watch a couple of episodes of something for free while you're, you know, mashing, you know, turkey and uh, pumpkin pie down your gullet. No harm, no foul. But if you did find it interesting and they are betting that people have uh, enough of an interest, then they gain some more subscribers they wouldn't have had before. Right. So the try before you buy is uh, kind of interesting here. It is a little surprising to me. I just seeing it listed out here what disney owns i didn't uh didn't remember freeform used to be like abc family or something and yeah 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 i kind of forgot about the fx relationship with hulu so nevertheless there you go so wednesday thursday friday for abc fx and freeform going into thanksgiving and then for hulu because i guess it's just different reasons it's going to have stuff available from november 23rd through december 7th so hulu's owned by disney or just these are just other places. They have a controlling interest in it. 
Yeah. When they took over Fox, they, they got like two thirds of the, the interest because they took yeah. their third plus Fox's third. Because it's kind of interesting, you know, this sort of model of, of subscriptions, because I mean, I've even finding that in online courses that, you know, every now and then I stumble across a course I'd like to do. And it's like, oh, sign up for this service for 40 or $50 a month or whatever. Um, so you can't do, you can't just buy the course. So you can't just go buy Andor because Andor is not available on iTunes or anything like that as a, as a season. Nope. Yeah. So you can't just go buy it and, and watch it and consume it, you know. Um, I also think it's an odd choice because didn't they give us the first three episodes of Andor when it first came out on Disney? No, they only give us the first two. I don't think it was three because we need, I think we talked about needing three to sort of get um, the gist or. But that's the thing. The first that, one was... That's kind of where I wanted to go with this as well is it's interesting that they're choosing to show the first two because the first three really are an arc. It's kind of unusual. Like you're kind of. The whole purpose of this we're supposed to infer is that Andor is, I'm going to go ahead and say it, Andor is the best television program that's been on TV this oh, year. Oh, definitely. It is yep. not, genre notwithstanding, it is the best thing I've seen on TV this entire year. They have let out there that the audiences are not as high as they would have liked on Disney+. Plus. So this is clearly, hey, we've got something special here. Let's put it on all our platforms. Let's try and ramp up interest in it. Let's try and make sure people can see this very special thing that we've created. But the decision to show two episodes when the first three are kind of an arc is an unusual one in my mind. If you're going to go to that length to, to put it out there, is the idea, hey, we'll show you the first two and you'll be so hooked that you'll want to know what happens in the third part. I feel like three would have made more sense because then you get a satisfying conclusion that sort of springboards you into the next part of his adventure, which is the Aldani stuff. And I think that would be more satisfying as a hook to pull you in. I'm sure there's a logical reason they must feel like this two-episode approach is better, but I, I don't know that I agree. Well, they were short episodes, if I remember correctly, right? They're, like, not full hours? I would yeah, double-check like, the length, but I think they're, like, 45, 45 minutes, yeah. um, if you don't include the credits and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, 4137 is the first two episodes. 41 minutes and 37 minutes, respectively. Yeah, I remember, remember when we watched the first two episodes, I, mean, I think we all commented on the fact that, that the first episode by itself wasn't, if you knew nothing about Star Wars, right? Um, it wasn't enough to sort of get you under, get you like hooked. Like, you know, every TV show that comes out these days seems to have a really good first episode, right? To sort of get the hook baited, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I felt that, and and again, like while we talked about it, it was either the first two episodes or the first three episodes that they they dropped at first, right? And uh, to just sort of get us into it, because like in if, spoilers for those of you who haven't watched it, you know the third episode's where he meets Luthen, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and then finds out, you know, where he's going to go, and it's kind of like that. I mean, somebody, I think somebody made the analogy. I don't know if it was one of us or somebody else I heard, but it's sort of a, like a um, that is sort of the the a new hope kind of rewritten in a much better way than, than force awakens. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of, cause that's what it is, you know, that, that Cassian finds out he has this future goal that, you know, with this mysterious old dude, which is kind of sort of where Luke is with, with Obi-Wan and in a new hope. Right. You mean like that call heroes call to action kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you all that like, it's a slow burn kind of show. 
and I agree that doing the first three would have been better because it does pick up a bit more starting in three when he has the the call to action. And to your all's point, the kind of a natural arc there of like, hey, we finished the first mini arc. Do you want to see more? Go subscribe to Disney Plus. Feels like a, a weird spot for for them to to cut it off. I'm I'm sure there must have been a lot of uh, boardroom meeting discussions around precisely how many they were going to give. Do, what do you think it would take? So I, I, again, I'm I'm consistently surprised. I, as we talked about last week, I listen to lots of podcasts. I read a ton. So on I, on every corner that I've gone to, I've not found anybody who's like Andor sucks. Everybody seems to be really <laughs> yeah. really into it. It's it, you know. We'll talk about this week's episode later. You know, most of the episodes are better than the episode before, which is shocking. Uh, this week was a bit of a slow burn just because they were kind of setting up the finale. But it's progressively gotten better over the course of its, you know, 10 weeks or so that it's been out. And I wonder, like, why it's not resonating. I wonder what it is about it that is has not grabbed people is it the uh, fact that what do you mean by not resonating how do, what do you mean by that i just think that there's a contingent of star wars fans or casual star wars fans i should say not the, like the hardcore people are watching star wars no matter if it says star wars somewhere in it they're gonna watch it but the casuals who have a disney plus or who are just sort of aware of the star wars universe go see the movie sometimes but aren't really invested in it it doesn't seem like they are necessarily connecting with it and is it because it's not a premier character is not a Skywalker. It's not a Han Solo. It's not a a name brand property why, character. Doesn't have the force and doesn't have the force and doesn't wield a lightsaber. Is that why? Or I wonder. I I really do wonder what the issue is with. I mean, you know, and and again, I say this with love and respect. I think Diego Luna is an incredible performer. I think he's done so much in this series, but I wouldn't say he's a name brand. I wouldn't say that he's necessarily somebody who, you know, the average person would be like, oh, I watch anything Diego Luna is in. I just wonder what's keeping people away. I don't know. You, I think I think you got a point there because he he's a very subdued actor, like from that point of view, like he's he's not the Mandalorian, like he's not, you know, um, I forgot the name of the Mandalorian character or guy, but you know Pedro Pascal. He's not. He's not like. But even in the suit, you know, what I mean, like yeah. we don't know what he doesn't have to be Pedro Pascal in the suit, right? But I mean, he's and not. He's very apparently. understated. Yeah, he's very understated as as a hero. He's he's sort of a reluctant hero, right? Yeah. And and, mm-hmm. and you're we're waiting for we're waiting for the light to go on in his head that says, yeah, this needs to happen because because all through he's still a doubter. He's still very skeptical about the empire and about the rebellion, right? He hasn't picked a side yet. It seems right. Well, it did in. It did this week, and we'll talk about that a little later on. But he did seem to see, he did seem to see that he was doing something more of value now. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying though is, is like you know, um, I think I think where the hand solo, where the solo movie fails to sort of get you know that whoever that character character was, that actor was to to the point where we believe he's Harrison Ford's hand solo. Right. He, you know, that kind of, that never really got off the ground. I mean, it was a great movie and like, it, yeah, again, it had Star Wars and the title and stuff, but, but, um, it never, it like Rogue One was such a good movie because it was, it was a, a sort of a, uh, even though I, I didn't like the fact that it had, you know, it suffers from the prequel problem, all that kind of stuff. Right. But, you know, the sacrifice that they all make, you know, the, I am one with the force, the force is one with me guy. Like he was amazing, you know, um, you know, and, and, 
but Luke Diego Luna is you know he's like you said he's a, he's a really good actor he's you know it's in the same way that Andy Serkis is too but and but I mean there's so much going on there's also the you know Mon Mothma there's a Luthan threads there's the uh, Sita and uh, the Mothma's cousin or I can't remember her name Kel yeah um, and 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 the house and the the storekeeper his his assistant right um, you know they're they're all sort of uh, they're all they're knights and knights and bishops, and I don't want to say they're pawns. They're knights and bishops in this story. They're all moving the pieces across the board, kind of thing, right? And Luthen, who is, you know, I get kind of like when when you go back to A New Hope, and you know, um, Obi Wan says to Luke, "I've got something for you from your father," and he hands him the lightsaber. At that point in time, Luke has no idea that how far that lightsaber is going to take him, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or how far this, this, this is going to take, because he's still a kid. He's still a farm boy at that point. Right. And, and in that same sense, like Diego Luna is, you know, still sort of, he's a street urchin, right? He's like a, you know, he's, he's scrambling to stay alive and, and he's not, you know, he's not going to high school. He's not going to college. He's not going, he's not joining the empire. He's not joining the army. He's, he's basically scraping to survive. And, and I think, Trying to get him from the point of view of I'm surviving here at however I can to okay I'm going to put all of my energies into advancing this this whole mission forward like Luthen says you know like like when somebody asks him what he's given up and he just lean I think he leans into the person in I think in the elevator scene right yep. last week where yep. he leans in and says you know you have no idea what I've given up mm-hmm. I've given up way more than you could imagine right sort of yeah everything you know, like literally everything yeah. Yeah, like he's just he's done. He's like he, he's 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 all in. Like he's taken all the chips and he's pushed them across the table, right? Yeah. Um, whereas Luna, Dega Luna's character or Cassian Endor hasn't done that yet, right? And you know he hasn't. You know, you know what I mean? Like like you know that that moment where no matter how hard he tries, you know, um, John Wick, you know, is just trying to get by. Just I'm just trying to get out, you know, or mm. or uh, you know. Um, Al Pacino's Godfather is just trying to get it and become legit, you know, kind of thing, right? Um, all these sort of, stri- all these sort of, you know, you want the, the main character to sort of move beyond. And we're, like I said, I'm waiting for Luna to go, oh, there's a rebellion on and I, and I need to be a leader in it, right? You know, because how does he get to that point where he's like that in in a Rogue, Rogue One, right? He's, you know, the first scene you see him in, you know, dispatching the bad guy or dispatching the other the other guy just sort of like this has to get done let's do it right not not even mm-hmm. not even discussing it just does it you know yeah it'll be Super interesting to see how they get to that because and i think that's what season two will probably be more about is just you know it has to get him to the place where he believes in the cause enough to do the things that he's good at which is to say doesn't hesitate to make hard decisions whether that's taking a life or sacrificing a life he, you're right he's not there yet like Renera, right? He's like she's not ready to fire up the dragons and go kick butt, right? Yeah. Until the very last scene in, in the the first step first season, right? Yeah. Then you you get that look on her face, and now she, now she's realized, okay, yeah, there's you know she's she's in, she knew she was in it, right? Obviously, because she's supposedly the queen, but you know it didn't really become to her like you know. She was doing everything she could to avoid war because, you know, she knew the prophecy and she knew what her father had told her, right? And that, you know, that this was just going to come to pass, right? If you believe in the prophecy, right? So she doesn't have to, and and it was, and fighting for the sake of dragons, just destroying everybody for the sake of destroying everybody was not a, not a goal. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and in the same sense, like Luthen, 
or it's not Luthen, um, Luna or Diego Luna's character, um, Cassiander hasn't sort of that fire hasn't been lit in him yet. You know, like you said, he's getting close. He's he's warming up, right? I'll be curious to see what response. What you know, the, bringing it back to Jaime's uh, article that he's pointed out here. If they're showing these on mainstream television, I'll be curious to see if there is a higher adoption. If we start to see more buzz in in and on the mainstream, although. Again, go to a Rotten Tomatoes, go to a Variety, go to an Entertainment Weekly, go to a Ringer, you know, name name a, a pop culture website. They're all gushing over Andor. So again, I don't think it's the critics you have to convince. It seems like it's it's more joke you public that this is a special show and they just need to figure out how to get it to them. And you'd think word of mouth would do that. Maybe this is a byproduct of the work from home culture or just sort of, you know, where we're at with the Twitter implosion and everything else. But it just it's strange that this show, which is top notch, is just not getting the kind of love that it deserves. Yeah, it's funny. We just we just had a like a uh, informal social on one of our meetings today with with, you know, I work with I work with nerds. I work with 250 nerds. Right. And um you know, the CTO said, hey, one of the best shows on TV right now is Andor. And, and um, you know, the four or five of us who are into it were like 100%. You know, it's the best thing out there, blah, blah, blah. And and yet some people were like, oh, yeah, I, I got to get around looking at that one, you know. But I got to get the TPS reports filed first, you know. <laughs> like, it, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like, the thing is that they don't, like, I think the average, like, you know, we're sort of in it, right? So we're, we're invested in it, you know? Um, whereas you're, I, yeah, right. I, I don't know what it is. Like, like it's, it just, it's people have avoided it. It's like, like She-Hulk, like, I mean, how many people do you think really watch She-Hulk, right? Um, there's, and it's funny cause I was talking to some of, some of my colleagues at work about, um, um, Black Panther is, is that there's a, there's a bit of a burnout on, on Marvel right now, right? Like, like you know, the some like those of us like you and you and me. If it has Star Wars or Marvel on it, we'll go see it no matter what, right? Yep. Um, but but there's like you know, there's been like what ten years of of Marvel you know movies, and they're and they're formulaic, and they they do the same sort of you know, they have the same sort of three 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 acts kind of thing, right? And um, yeah, I mean, other than the fact that the the, I mean, how far can you really advance the story if you have a formula like that, right? And and th- what's interesting about this show is trying to get people to realize this isn't your standard Star Wars, right? This isn't your run-of-the-mill Star Wars, right? Yeah. Um, you know, that's, and that's what's good about it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, things like Peripheral right now, which is a fresh take, or Station Eleven, which is another fresh take on, on the whole sci-fi pandemic, you know, kind of thing, right? But yeah. if people don't tune in or they don't get, they don't get the hook, and, so, and maybe this whole exercise here, I mean, you know, we do A-B testing all the time in, in our business. I'm sure you do too. You know, maybe this is an A-B test for Disney, right? Yeah. Like, let's see, yeah. like you said, like how many people, how many people can we hook with this? How many, how many people can convert? How many conversions can we get out of this mm-hmm. every week? You know, mm-hmm. they should offer them a coupon for how much off for the first three months. Or something. <laughs> you know, I, I think that would be fascinating. I wonder if they'll run commercials or in and around these releases that are like, you know, Continue the adventure. Go here. We'll give you a you know a free free oh, week no, or three easy payments of yeah. yeah. Like I wonder if they will they will try and come up with some you know enticement deals, Black Friday deals, some something else that just sort of springboards people in. Again, their adoption rate on Disney Plus has been astonishing. Like they are you know they're moving forward at a pace that is unprecedented in streaming. You know, it's it almost seems crazy at this point. Again, obviously we were like really really early adopters, but 
it seems crazy at this point that there are people who are like, what's this Disney Plus you speak of? Should I spend my, you know, $10 a month on this fly-by-night service? Like, no, this is actually the deepest service on the internet right now. Um, you should probably be on yeah, board. It, it, mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing, too, because, I mean, yeah, to me, Disney is like, you know, Coca-Cola and, and Aspirin and, and Star Wars and Marvel. It's, 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 uh, to me, it's a brand I know I can trust. I know I, I know it, you know, I can put my kids in front of it and leave them alone. I, at least I was until they started the streaming stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like Disney's always, it for me has always had, you know, it's, it's kind of like that brand out there that there was, I mean, we used to watch the Disney white world, world, wonderful world of color every Saturday and Sunday, right. Kind of thing. Right. And, and anything that had Disney label on it, if it was a movie in the theaters, it was always going to be top notch, you know, as I grew up, right? So you're right. Maybe maybe we've maybe society has lost, you know, the the sort of appeal, or Disney's lost the, some of the appeal that, that it used to have, and maybe it is a part of this whole internet culture and streaming and stuff like that, and the fact that we're not, you know, sitting with our remote in our hand or having to walk across the, t- the room to change the channel, kind of thing, you know. But um, consuming of television and movies and stuff has changed and and especially in the last couple of years right obviously because you know nobody can go out and and you're only getting exposed to what you you know learn from your friends right so yeah 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 it's it's interesting like i say it'll be a really fun litmus test for how this you know the streaming versus the the traditional the you know the delivery method does it matter is it the method or is it the product right true yeah yeah, nobody's going to vote for Trump is what we all said, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have never regretted those words. <laughs> uh-huh. And and I don't know why Apple's making an iPhone. I still can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Apple, I may. Yeah, this one is basically a follow-up to us talking about Apple's partnership with the Major League Soccer. So their new MLS season pass will apparently cost fourteen ninety nine per month. Or uh, $99 for the whole season. Uh, apparently, if you're an Apple TV Plus subscriber, you can get it at a discount. So it's, uh, what's that discount? $12.99 per month or $79 per the season. So um, so is how long is the season? Like, is it like 12 months or? No, it starts in spring and goes till winter. Yeah, it's like February to October or something like that. It's pr- pretty close from like when they start to when the MLS Cup is So like eight, eight months? Yeah, maybe, yeah, eight, nine months. Yep. I wonder, though, and, and Jaime, I think maybe you're a good one to answer this. It, I have waffled from time to time at the notion of getting one of the, you know, NBA all access passes or whatever, where you can watch all the NBA, because I like the NBA enough that I would watch out of market games. I would watch if there was a good matchup with two or three great players, I will watch that game irrespective of my local team playing. Are we there with MLS that you are like? Not only do I want to watch the Sounders, but I want to watch, you know, uh, FC New York play the Red Bulls on a Tuesday night. Like, are we there yet? I, mean, I just... we shouldn't assume that he wants to watch the, so- the Sounders. We shouldn't assume that he wants to watch the Sounders. <laughs> no, I definitely... Well, I mean, you're, you're a Sounders fan, aren't you, Jaime? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was a down year I'm this kidding. year, but, um, you know, so I'm a, a, a cord cutter, so... We do tend to get most of the Sounders games, but frustratingly, not all of them, because there are weirdo blackout rules related to, uh, like, uh, man, who is it? Has Is it Root Sports here? I don't know. I don't even remember. But, you know, this is, you know, kind of appealing at a, like, hmm, 79 bucks for the season. We said it's, like, I don't know, eight-ish months. I figure that's 10 bucks. I was like, yeah, that's not bad at all to make sure that I don't miss 
any games. Um, you know, the, the Mariners switching sports here in, in baseball had a, a good season. It was frustratingly difficult to you know, acquire access to all of their games because of weird blackout stuff related to the, the cable TV partnership they have for their games. So um, is this going to be a, a huge winner? I'm, I'm not sure that it will be because of Major League Soccer sort of, you know, standing in, um, in American sports. But it's a good start to start, you know, kickstarting the idea of getting some innovation, pushing away from the, the, the cable TV culture and just, you know, let us pay for ourselves. Let me, let me be here and watch the games for the local team instead of, you know, people who are, uh, you know, three states away getting a better experience watching their favorite team because they moved away from Seattle is just, just silly, right? Like we've got internet distribution. Just, just let us watch. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Again, this one doesn't hasn't excited me yet just because I don't feel like, like if I was going to sit down and watch MLS, which is not often, I would really only be interested in the Toronto Club. And if I was going to watch anything beyond that, it would have to be like FC Montreal or Vancouver or something that had some resonance or they'd have to be a great player. Uh, if you can name five great MLS players off the top of your head, I'll wait. Um, but I, I just feel like it's not the Premier League. It's not La Liga. It's not like there's, it's the 10th best league in the world. I'm sorry. I'm still having a tough time with this. Mm-hmm. Years later, I wrote, I wrote a column back when I was a columnist about how I just did not know how they could sell MLS in North America, given the quality of players they were likely to attract. And this is, it's been almost 20 years since I wrote that piece. I still stand behind it. I know that it has its audience. I know that it sells out. I know it does well, and I'm really impressed by it, but I don't understand it. Like, if if they were like, hey, um, so we're going to bring like the 10th best product in anything else to your city, you'd be like, why would I care about that? But when they're like, we'll bring the 10th best level of soccer to your town, and it's going to be like nothing like the highest caliber but it's in your town and people will be like, where do I buy a Jersey? Like, I don't, I just don't understand it at all. It's like people who get excited about the CFL. Like, I'm sorry. It's terrible. It's terrible. For this, I'll say that, um, success breeds success and you don't normally have the market leader doing the innovation. So I think for the MLS perspective, um, you know, they kind of have no choice, but to innovate. And from the Apple standpoint, this is probably the cheaper way to innovate than trying to crack you know, the NFL, uh, NHL, MLB, or uh, NBA. So that kind of makes sense from a business standpoint. And from the MLS side, you know, if they can start growing uh, revenue dollars, start growing the fan base, then it might start you know, kickstarting their, their way to getting a better quality product on the field because you can just simply buy your better players, right? Mm. Um, and so that that that's something to to keep an eye on when it's happening here and outside of MLS you will hopefully see, you know, MLB, NHL, NBA and NFL say, "Hey, wait a minute. Maybe we can be a success too because we're already successful. Just add more money through this kind of stuff, right? These kind of partnerships." Um yeah. I'd also be curious to see if they're going to do anything kind of unique like I've watched some of Amazon Video's uh Thursday Night Football. They've got that this season. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And they have a uh, a uh, few different options for listening to different um presentation teams and they've got a view that is 
you know, a normal view of like what you would see just watching over the air kind of view of the game. And then you've got a um, almost like a fantasy football in a Madden video game inspired view that has the, you know, they've got those tracking uh, things in the shoulder pads and stuff that they're wearing. So you can see like this is that specific player. Here's the route they're running right now um, on the bottom bar or on the sidebar. Here's the fantasy stats of like that player just gained, you know, five more rushing yards. Uh, this mixed play coming up has a 72% chance of being a play action pass. They're doing all sorts of weird stat stuff related to sort of the, the Amazon web services angle of it and the, the stats cloud-based um, calculation of stuff. I'm not saying it's like a way I would constantly watch the game, but it is an innovative thing that is significantly different than, you know, what John Madden and Pat Summerall were doing back in like the 80s mm-hmm. and 90s. Right. Beyond just HD and, and like uh, augmented reality logos like the, the NFL game is broadcast wise hasn't moved that much. But this weirdo experiment that Amazon is doing is like at least something radically new. I'm not saying it's good, but the newness might spur other new good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Last right. item here. So we've had the, I think, teaser trailer for Sonic Prime, the uh, CGI animated series on netflix starring sonic the hedgehog this is the official trailer which goes uh, sort of deeper into showing that uh sonic in the multiverse of madness kind of flavor to it and the, the animation's looking pretty good digging the style looks like they spent some money doesn't look like a a, a cheap cash in for a saturday morning cartoon kind of uh, thing and um seems reasonably family friendly for like you know drawing the kiddos but also not being uh you know, not adult friendly. We'll see. December fifteenth. I'm going to assume it drops all in. I don't think I've seen any news of whether they're they're squeeze out the episodes or if they're just going to plop them all out. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a standard Netflix kind of deal, right? I think so. I haven't heard anything that tells me otherwise. They do occasionally do that, and it's pretty good timing because the Sonic uh, Frontiers video game is out. So I'm sure that's a pretty good uh, little bit of marketing for them going into the Christmas holidays. Um, so I can binge this because it's on Netflix. Is that right? Yep. I believe you will be able to binge it because uh, I didn't see anything <laughs> about any weird like, oh, we're dropping the first three episodes, then weekly after that or um, anything like that. Netflix does do some things that are not all on one day, but it's not common. I thought we were ta- we talked about this. It was going to be like based on the movie or something like that or like the live action thing. But I guess not. Not this, is just this one. No. Um, animated thingy. All right, well, let's let's dig into the main part of the show, which is to talk about something Star Trek related. And this week we're talking about Prodigy, season one, episode 14. 14 is it 14 or 13? We're not sure. Um, no, no, I, I did. I did actually add one onto what Crave says. So this week's episode is Crossroads. And uh, there we go. So my, my uh, before we run, I'm going to run away and do my, my 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 Easter egg real quick was the Zindi for me. Mm-hmm. 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 Jonathan, what was, what was your, your elevator pitch? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I will. I will go first then. Um, so mine was the the snarky. Um, everybody poops the bed when trying to warn Starfleet. In parenthesis. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I had uh, first contact between the Proto Star crew and the real Janeway does not go as planned. Yeah, it's it's so funny because mm-hmm. again the whole the whole point of this has been since they sort of figured out you know Starfleet and they bought in was oh we need to connect with Starfleet we need to warn them and then they literally run 
not just one of them runs into one of them, but like multiple of them run into multiple of them. And they're like, nah, never mind. We won't bother warning you or telling you or anything like that. It was very, it was very strange. Again, and I get that that's the whole point is that they're kids and they're supposed to not necessarily know the right thing to do. And, and that's part of the deal. But it just felt really funny to be 13 episodes in and they've all they've talked about in the last, you know, half of the first half of the season and the first few episodes was we got to warn we got to warn starfleet we got to warn the federation we got to warn them we got to warn them and mm-hmm. they just, like uh noom runs into pog essentia runs into gwyn dal meets uh the real janeway and none of them can spit it out like it's it's just it's sad it feels like the equivalent of um it's gonna sound like a strange analogy but bear with me here so Remember the movie American Pie and remember specifically uh, Jason Biggs and Shannon Elizabeth. So the entire movie, he's just like waiting, you know, to lose his virginity and he has his opportunity and right on the cusp just, you know, drops the ball at the last second. Um, that's kind of what this episode was, was like for them, right? That they've been going pretty much most of the season here. We got to do Starfleet, help out Starfleet, contact Starfleet, whatever. and to have almost every one of them i think zero and murph are the only two um of the of the kiddos who don't mess up in some way uh, to varying degrees right like rock talks is a little bit more casual she just like didn't notice the badge on the one person that she was uh desperately looking, you know, looking to talk to um you know gwyn had almost a better interaction until her father's name gets mentioned and dal got pretty far until he kind of realized like oh that's not great and rounding things out jankum pog probably had a good opportunity too if he didn't go like i don't know full tellerite is that like a racist thing to say he went full tellerite <laughs> in the situation yeah it uh it, it, again it was a good episode it was it was definitely i felt i mean last week's episode was funny but it wasn't really it, it just kind of stood still this one was about moving the plot forward which i think i, I like a little more and yeah, we've kind of been waiting for this moment for them to sort of actually come face to face with, with, you know, the real Starfleet, what's this going to mean and everything else. And man, you're right. They, they did kind of crap the bed on this <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> um, and, you know, there was a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of little moments in this, you know, because they're, they've got like a lot of layers in here, a lot of characters, a lot of different sort of overlapping things that sort of come together. Yeah. I don't know. The, I can't decide what what is going to make logical sense when they bring it all together. So right now, what Janeway thinks that they're all thieves because they've been painted this picture from the Diviner and they've been painted this picture by uh, what's his name Barnabas Fricks or Barnas Fricks. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been sort of sold this line that these are you know uh, oh she uses the unfortunate word at one point savages oh so <laughs> we you know I I work. Um, with uh, Indigenous people in Canada on, on the healthcare front. And one of the things that we've done is this cultural understanding pieces about certain terms. And savages is one of the absolute worst sort of slurs to throw out there. And at one point, she, she says, you know, something about these these savages. And I'm like, she's referring to just them as savages because... Janeway? Of, yeah, because of their actions, because of their alienness. Like, oof, it just, it hit me the wrong way. I was like, oof, that's not a good term to be thrown around. Now, who is she, who is she referring to, by the way, at that point? She was referring to the to the Protostar crew, to the to the kids. Oh, the crew. Okay. It was like, yeah, oof, yeah. like, ugh. it's felt an awful lot like a slur. 
Yeah, I was gonna say she did. She did come across a little a little less Janeway for me. Like I don't know. Like I know she was a tough captain and all that kind of stuff. But she, I found when when you know when he's first when she says to him like you know try try and form two words and have them come out of your mouth or something like that. She says to him at one point, right? Mm-hmm. When he's stammering because he's like overwhelmed by her presence, you know. Yeah, and I and I guess the idea is she's she's supposed to be pissed because of of Chakotay, right? She's supposed to be really worried about him. She thinks that that you know, uh, you know that this is her priority. She's got to figure this out. Stop these these horrible people from doing what they're doing. But even when she realizes that they're children, she's still got like a bit of a snotty attitude about it, and she isn't like. Oh, these kids must be misunderstood. She's like, let's shoot them out of the sky. Like she's she's pretty hardcore. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Like like um, Janeway. Like I mean the Janeway. I mean Jaime is the big boy car- uh, watcher here. But I mean to me, Jane that that was not in character for me as, as far as Janeway's. I mean even that she's an admiral and stuff, right? But vice admiral, whatever. They can't they can't make her a full admiral. They have to make her a vice admiral, right? Um. Because she's a, you know... Well, if she woman, becomes an admiral, you know, then she has um, to do dark things, right? Didn't we establish that from previous... Uh... <laughs> oh, it's just, a, it's just to go bananas. It's the only way yeah, up. Yeah. Well, and my, and my, one, my one question, too, is like, well, the first thing I was thinking, like, if they stop the protostar, they're just going to put themselves within range of this, you know, thing that's going to destroy them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, um, that does lead to some, you know, interesting... You know, theories about like is uh, is Janeway letting her emotions with you know her friendship with Chakotay get in the way? Is it uh, caffeine deficiencies because the tea is just not as good as the coffee? Like there is a number of things. There's just as much caffeine in tea as there is in coffee. It depends what she's having for for both, right? Or she could be having like yeah, sleepy time or something. Herbal, yeah, herbal exactly. teas, so nothing but herbal teas for the. Uh... Yeah, yeah, and there's you know some green teas and black teas that are uh, stronger or not as strong as various roasts of uh, of coffee and beans and etc. So, kind of depends. Yeah, I'm guessing for everyone the best pew 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 was probably the protostar versus the dauntless, or did people go with the uh, Star Wars esque uh, skiff battle kind of thing? Like, yeah, I like the, the speeder chase. I thought that was that was fun, especially because uh, Akona. We we didn't we haven't discussed the Akona of it all. Uh, pops up again, so we see him early in the episode. The outrageous Akona makes his uh, appearance in a third Star Trek franchise because we, we. Yeah, I did. I didn't. Did they mention his name at one point, or is it guess when he first meet him? They when he first when he first introduces himself, does he have the ponytail too, or and the, and the eye patch that we saw in um, in Lower Decks, right? Oh, okay. But um, so he had that. He didn't have that because yeah, he, he just looked like a regular dude to me. But I, I never, I didn't put two and two together that he was that guy. So. Yeah, and it was Billy Campbell actually. It was Billy Campbell doing the voice again too, which is fun. Um, right? Yeah, I did recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. So he pops up early in the episode and then gets hauled away, and I was like, well, that's kind of a weird thing to bring him back for like a one note joke. And then of course he pops back up in the skiff ride, and then he has the MacGuffin fuel that helps them get over the, the cliff and stuff like that. But yeah, I thought that was a fun thing. Although you're right, Jaime, I think the, uh, it didn't really occur to me in the moment until we see it, like how tiny the protostar is next to the Dauntless. That was kind of a nice eye opening moment. Yeah. 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 yeah it's a, it's a definitely massive ship by comparison. Um, yeah. Uh, and since we mentioned Akona, he was my Easter egg. Um, yeah. Cause same. You know, yeah. Yeah. Longtime uh, fans of Star Trek, the the next generation will will recognize him from that if they didn't catch him from uh, from Lower Decks and stuff. Yep. So can we talk about the Zindi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. So where 
did I mean like the, the Zindi was one of these one of, I think that was probably the, the failing point of Enterprise the TV show Enterprise um when they started well, I've always said that they maintained that the war with the Zindi was all, was to me like you know it was an interesting story but it was just badly timed based on what was going on in the world but and this is the the uh, insectoid version of the Zindi, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, like we like we've not had the Zindi in any other Star Trek, if I'm not mistaken, other than that first, you know, the Enterprise, right? Um, and so they just show up as like they're on a planet, and they are you know, they're they're like the security force or whatever on this particular planet. I mean, um, you know, like like the Federation still hasn't made made up with the Romulans, and yet they're they're hanging out with Zindi, you know? Well, maybe it seemed like this was a a sort of Trading outpost, Nexus, kind of Moss Eisley, middle of nowhere, because they've got, you know, Klingons who who are there, and, and one of them, you know, sees the Federation badges. All right, I'm not going to mess with the, the Federation here, even though I was probably going to beat up this child for her really cool uh, weapon that I saw, right? And so there's a, an Okona and a whole bunch of other stuff that um, makes it feel like it's sort of like a melting pot kind of area, multicultural, multi-species. Yeah. This is the Noxy Station, is at this place? Yeah, yeah, I did. I had written that down as my, uh, the, the, they said what, the best quote from the episode was <laughs> when they're pulling up to it and they say, you know, I think it's it's um, Zero says, you know, Denaxi Station, you know, it's a scary place, you'll have to watch your step. And immediately I was like, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. It was just, it may as well have been the exact line. So I wrote it down like that because it made me laugh. But uh, again, like from a plot point, like how would she know that? They know that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess zero species is supposed to be well-traveled, right? Like they, they get around. Oh, okay. And, yeah. Uh, I did really like, the other quote I wrote down that I really liked was when Pog is trying to figure out how to fire up the experimental drive as they're, they're trying to escape the Dauntless. And Dal is like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And he turns around and he says, Captain, please shut up. Pog is trying to work. I'm like, how has no one ever told the captain to shut up before? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. That's that's the thing that every person at the con or calculating trajectory or otherwise has always wanted to turn around and say to the captain, like, I'm doing my best. Get off my back. <laughs> well, Scotty was always very passive aggressive, right? Like, but Scotty always had that. I know? know. I just love that Pog cuts to the chase. He's just like, Captain, please shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was that was a nice uh, a, a nice one for the longtime fans who were like, yeah, it sh- it's definitely should have somebody should have said that earlier. Like you said, it was a good, it was a good episode for this this series. Like mm-hmm. you know, all in, right? Yeah, it moved the moved Sorry, the plot forward. Had some Easter eggs. I think it was I think it was a good episode. I I did have my my big question for this one was uh, the Murph of it all, right? So we talked about how Murph had gone into sort of a chrysalis last episode. What the heck was going on with Murph, the space slug? And this episode, he hatches. I guess is the the term, and he is now a biped. He's, he's, he's mm-hmm. humanoid gelatinous thing, but humanoid. Uh, yeah. So my question was, is this it? Are we going to get more of these? Is, is this his final form? Is this a Pokemon? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. Pokemon evolution is what came to my mind that, you know, he might have one every season just to sort of change up his character and, and do something different with him. It's good for selling toys, I guess too. Right. But, um, 
Yeah, I would I would think like like you know insects, you know, because insects have three phases, right? Generally speaking, right? They have like a worm phase, and then they have a bug phase, and then they have like a moth butterfly kind of phase, right? Mm. Um, and then they die. But um, yeah, I don't know. Again, why does it have to have two legs and two arms and a nose? Because everything does in Star Trek. That's how it works. Well, I was gonna see. I was gonna say like even Zero has two arms. You know, like yeah. one eyeball, but two arms, like. Was that more efficient that way? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's for, just easier um, for kids. You know, given that we have the, the lower decks crossover into the real life uh, uh, version of Star Trek, I wonder if they're thinking long term for what if we did the same with Prodigy? We can't have this ball of goo. <laughs> we got to find a way to make that a little say, cheaper yeah. and easier to have a, a, a person in a suit walking around so we don't have to CGI as much for him. Well, I think a blob is probably less CGI than something with arms and legs. But um, yeah, you're right. It, it does make it accessible too, right? And for the young youngins, for the starters. Where's Murph? He's gonna hatch. <laughs> He's a ball again. <laughs> you know? Here's his uh, here's his cocoon. Yeah, they can they can cheap it out. Yeah. My um, my quote was uh, related to Jenkin Pog talking with Okona about warp four. He's like. Did he say four? Oh, he thinks his <laughs> ship is fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is warp 9.97. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then like, the other Tellerite says, tells him that pog means short and, you know, yeah. minuscule or yeah. lower. And then, and then the uh, guy bumps into him and goes, have you lost your mom and dad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Poor Jankum. I do wonder if... Um, you know, for my big question was, should the show be named Progeny? Because you do have the Diviner <laughs> literally using that term here in reference to, to Gwyn, right? And it's a bunch of kids. They're, they're, they're treated as, as kiddos. And there's a weird internet rumor of what if Dal is Janeway's child uh, in some way, shape, or form from her um, reptilian or amphibian tryst with... Uh, uh, Tom Paris. Ooh, that's weird. Ooh, right? It's like, oh, what if it's like a weirdo evolved form? And that's why his species is like the weirdo kind of uh, thing of like not totally unknown, but also kind of not uh, not a regularly uh, known thing either. Like the, the, the skeletons in the closet for the, the Janeway family. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder. Strange. I wonder. It'll be interesting to see how they resolve that. That's one of the mysteries that's made made things interesting for me is the what is Dal? Yep. All right. Let's move on to Endor. Yeah. Daughters of Ferrix, season one, episode 11. Hmm. So my elevator yeah. pitch, Cass tries to put prison life behind him, but some sad news sets him and several other key players on a collision course. And that news, of course, is his mom's death. Yeah. I gotta say, I really like B as a character, the little robot. Yeah, he's cute. Yeah. Definitely want one, definitely want one like that. Yeah, you, you want a, an emotionally unstable robot? No, I think it's kind of cool the way he just, you know, turns and rotates and goes up and down and whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Like, what? what's the functionality of that other than to be a companion, right? Yeah. And yeah, I don't know before. what... I don't... They really do express, like, what his an initial purpose was for, right? Yeah. yeah. Other than to hang out with uh, the mother. Yeah, Marva, yeah. But it, but it's funny that the the you know his um, I don't know if Andor's cousin the big big guy you know he's he's 
willing to accept the sort of the instability of of B and like you know says okay I'll st- I'll spend the night and you know okay you can stay here for now but you're gonna you're gonna come home and live with me kind of thing you know mm-hmm. sort of thing yeah so obviously they the last episode is one of the best television episodes I think I've ever seen it would have been impossible to keep that level up so there was nowhere to go but down with this episode. And it really was, I think, intended to be sort of table setting for what we expect to be a pretty dynamic conclusion, as as all eyes seem to be turning to Ferrix with Marva's funeral. Cass finds out that she's died. He's going to head back. Uh, Cyril finds out. Luthen finds out. Luthen's agents, you know, uh, Vel and 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 uh, Sinton know. Um, Obviously, you know, Dedramiro finds out. So everybody's going to have their eyes on what's going to happen there. And I think we're all kind of looking for it to come to a head. I wonder if it's going to, if if this is going to be the end of some of these characters or if they're all going to carry forward into season two. Like, I wonder if this is, Mm. you know, are we going to see any of them meet their end with this end of the season or is everybody going to come back again? Yeah, it's interesting that they they even brought back the, you know, the the Scottish. lieutenant or sergeant or whatever right yeah yeah this episode yeah he, he's the one that calls with the bad cell reception yeah. um to uh our man that could fill him in on on the fact that you know cassian's dead and you know or not cassian's dead cassian's mom's dead yeah yeah um bix bix seems to have been like she's really like in a bad bad way eh? yeah i mean she seems pretty permanently traumatized by the torture that she's gone through and yeah. Yeah, because yeah. at one point they're they're bringing her back in for more questioning, and they're trying to figure out if Axis, who we know is Luthen, is Anto Krieger, right? She's, they're trying to get her to confess, and you know it's one of those things where no matter what she says, they're still going to torture her again. So it's it's really messed up. Yeah, it's really dark. I I wonder what comes of her fate in the next episode. Are we going to see her, uh, you know, finally really turn on? Cassian are we going to see her die are we going to see her escape like what's I mean I think after going with she's gone through you kind of want to see her have a happy ending but we know that this series is not built on happy endings so yeah for me I I chose an elevator pitch for this that I think would almost kind of work for the entire sort of series earlier in you know this podcast episode we were sort of discussing you know it's such a great series. How come it's not setting the world on fire, even though it's a critical darling? Is um, I feel like they're covering a lot of the sort of. It's hard to call them regular people because it's you know um, hyped up drama in a in a wartime spy time kind of setting. But these are basically the sort of mostly normal people. They're not the the elites, if we want to call them that, like the Skywalkers, yep. right? Yep. So. The the elevator pitch I gave here that I think applies to a whole bunch of characters in this episode for various reasons is uh, all in all you're just another brick in the wall, um, mm. <laughs> right? I mean, they, it was perfect that they talked about how the the people are sort of like their ashes are turned into bricks, literally for the wall. But oh right, yeah, um, yeah, good point. You know, uh, Luthen and and Saul Guerrero and talking about Krieger is like that dude is just another brick in the wall. Like he will die, but it's for the and the thirty men plus him. Um, which was my quote, uh, 30 men plus Krieger is sort of like, yep, that's just what happens. Um, yeah. Karn and his whole, you know, buddy thing with the the other guy, they're just, you know, cogs in the machine or bricks in the wall. Even somebody who's 
ostensibly more of an elite like Mon Mothma is sort of rapidly finding that she's not quite as special as she might have maybe even led herself to believe, right? She's going to have to get a little dirty to, to, to get the money across the, the lines. And her, her family is uh, somewhat more traditional than even than, than she is herself, right? She's got the daughter with the, the braid ceremony that seems uh, a little um, you know, uncomfortable for her. So just mm-hmm. across the table, a whole bunch of these people are just, you know, parts of the machine. They're just regular people. Uh, even now, like Andor, you know, he's had these, you know, interesting, great adventures, but he's still largely just like a regular dude. Yeah. Yeah. And he's really, he's not so far really been the master of his own fate. He's kind of been caught in in a, an avalanche or caught in a landslide where it's just, it's kind of moving and he's going where it's going, right? We saw that with, what happened unfair because he got kind of swept up in, in in a bigger thing than himself. And then we see him getting roped into Aldani. And yeah, he he does ultimately volunteer to be there, but he doesn't really have a lot of choice. And then he goes from there, he gets swept up and, and thrown into the prison. And again, he's just kind of not even controlling his feet. He's just kind of going where the flow is going. It's it's a nice metaphor for sort of what's happening in the in the Star Wars universe at this point where you know, there are much bigger powers really stirring the pot, and a lot of people are just getting caught in the currents. Yep. The, um, so, I think the, one of the most interesting bits of this episode was the Luthen getting caught. So he goes to uh, the planet to meet with Saw Gerrera. Uh, they have a really good conversation, Jaime, you, you highlighted that, and I had that for my quote as well, where, you know, uh, Saw basically says, you know, we're in, we're going to go help Anto Krieger, and he's like, no, you can't do that. And he's like, why not? And then so they have this whole conversation where it really does not do good things for Saw's paranoia, where he basically says, you know, like, hey, I, you know, how do I know you're not the ISB? How do I know that everybody's against me? How do I know Mm -hmm. that everybody isn't turning against me? And it's just like, yeah, this this is this is the character that we know towards the end in Rogue One. Uh, But they get to this point where, you know, finally, Luthen tells him the truth. He's like, I have to sacrifice these men because I need you know, to keep my source in place. And Saw says, you know, how do you know I won't tell him? And Luthen bluntly says, I don't. Like, I just, you know, we we have to eventually get to a point where we can actually work together and trust each other in these things. And it is a leap of faith. And I thought that was really interesting for a character like Luthen. But it comes to a head and the two of them sort of agree that, you know, Saw, I think, is as much as a, a loose cannon as he is, he's also a pragmatist, right? His, he's pragmatic about it. And he says, this is the cost of war. We're going to call this war and you lose people in war and you sacrifice people in war. And he's seeing the big picture like like certainly Mon Mothma can't, like a lot of other people can't at this point. And, and that's the game that Luthen's playing. He's playing, you know, a higher level of chess than everybody else. And Saw is like, yeah, no, you got to play that kind of game. But they come to the end of that and he's leaving and he gets stopped by the Imperial patrol ship. And he tries to run a little scam where he's like, you know, changes his trans- transponder number and he's trying to sort of get out of it. And they're like, no, we're going to pull you over anyways. And then we get to see what <laughs> like what Luthen's really kind of made of, because he has this little like trading ship that he uses to go back and forth and run his little missions around the galaxy. And we don't really have a sense of that it's a combat ship. We just kind of thought it was a little transport shuttle until this episode when he like launches like uh, firing these huge like javelin darts out the back of it to trash the the tractor beam on the ship and then when it when the the tie fighters come for him 
he activates what looks an awful lot like two crimson lightsabers at the side of his ship. And, yeah, was that him? Yeah, okay. and scorches them. Uh, you know, he makes a comment earlier about Kyber, and he talks about Kyber. I wonder if that's that's what he's done, is he's put two Kyber crystals into his the wings of his ship to make those plates come out. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good escape, actually. It was kind of interesting. But I wonder, Slugger, like, now... Show, that was the big pew-pew-pew moment yeah. uh, for me for this episode. Definitely. I wonder what it means, though. This this is why I sort of came back to the whole, is everybody going to make it out of this season? Luthen has, I mean, oh, last episode had like three incredible speeches in one episode. But the speech that Luthen gives at the end of the episode where he talks about how he had to make his mind a sunless place and he had to, you know, basically cut off all access to his feelings and understand that he's basically throwing his life on the, on the you know, sacrificial altar for the cause. And how he's given up everything was an incredible speech, an incredible performance by Stellan Skarsgård. This week, it seemed like we see him getting just a little more desperate. And it seems like kind of foreshadowing towards him making an ultimate sacrifice. Maybe he, you know, maybe he's the one we don't see make it out of next week. I just feel like his arc feels like it might be coming to a head. Oh really? It, hmm. well, we, it could know, be. we know he's it not alive. Be. We know he's not alive by the by the time World One rolls around. At least we don't see him. How do we know that? How do we know that? Well, because he's he's not the one. Like he's he's not involved in any of the the planning. He's not in any of the rebel stuff. I mean, he could be somewhere else for sure. Right. But uh, hmm. you'd think that if he was this sort of fundamental architect of the rebellion, that he would have a place of status, and he he doesn't. Wasn't he helping Padme understand Thor? <laughs> yes, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting to see like where where they'll where they'll go. I don't know if he seems like such an interesting character to sort of like just lose in a in an episode. And again, without you know, without like you know, dying in the in the arms of Andor, you know, to make again that that fire igniting in Andor's eyes. You know, as I said before. There's got, there's got to be something like there's got to be something that happens on Ferex for to to spark you know um, Andor's uh, you know emotions right yeah. and I really liked um, I liked uh, um, Deirdre's uh, decision to have let them have the parade like that was a beautiful like you know yeah. I mean maybe maybe it was telegraphed or whatever but but you know you know the the Imperials are like screw them they're just peons we're gonna treat them like peons and she's like no no let them have their little little parade because when they do their little parade they'll all be in one place so we can look at them all right yep but it was a brilliant move right yeah i uh so i guess that's the fun exercise what uh what what do you think will happen next week and what will be the satisfying as far as an ending to this really incredible season of television see like in 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 pragmatic terms, if if you know if I'm if I'm a, if I'm this sort of scallywag uh, Luth, Luthen who or not Luthen um, and or who's you know hand to mouth surviving doing what he can. I, by the way, I just got to say I was amazed. Like how did how did that suitcase full of gold plate Latum survive for like the five years that he was in jail or whatever how long he was in jail for? Right. Well, he wasn't in for that um, long, he was, but a while. But he was there a while, and 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 what the, was that guy still sleeping while he? Because because I, I forget what the situation was where he put it into that that apartment, or was that his apartment and then someone else is renting it when he came or Airbnb, I guess when because that other dude that was there with the that was sleeping when he came back to get his money, 
Yeah, I guess like, I, I guess where he was supposed to have hidden it was over top of the the shower unit. And so unless somebody yeah. was particularly tall or went looking for it, they wouldn't see it up there, although it's a pretty sizable cabinet. Mm. But yeah, not only does it contain all of his uh, the gains that he got for the Aldani job, mm. it's got his blaster and it also has the the uh, manifesto, right, that he was given at the end of the oh, Aldani right, the job. And that's guy. that's an important thing that will probably come back around, right? Because he has this yeah. this powerful tool. MacGuffin. Well, yep. it isn't, though, because in this case, it's actually a thing that we know what it's going to do, right? We know that it has the power to, to really break things wide open. The, the manifesto? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. if, if there's a, a real manifesto that explains why the rebellion is just and why this needs to be, you know, this war against the empire needs to be fought, and it, we know that it can be used as a motivation to the masses to join the rebellion, you know, it, not only could it convince him to finally you know find a cause that he believes in and stick with it but it could also be used to indoctrinate others which you know potentially powerful tool right okay hmm. well that said i mean i uh, if i was him i would just sort of cut my losses and never go back i mean like what, what's he got to go back for she's gone right maybe he's got to maybe he's going to come back and rescue bix or something in his mind you know um because that would be the, i think that's the only or or the big dude his his brother or whatever but like if he's why, why, why would he come back to Ferrix, really, right? Maybe to get B? <laughs> He's got no reason to come back to Ferrix now. He, was, he came back for his mother in the first, the first, you know, the third or fourth episode, when he, wherever he came back, right? No, it was be the... It was, it was after the Aldani the, job, right? Yeah, the sixth episode, I guess? Sixth or seventh episode? Yeah, I think maybe it was the seventh. Um, it was that in-between episode. Yeah, the one where he got arrested, right? Yeah. When he's on the... Because he goes back to the... Um, I love those guys that catch them and and like, where would you like to go? And yeah, he's just just says to the beach, and they're like, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. One of those characters is actually is a, a member of uh, in the future is one of um, Saw Guerrero's crew. So it's oh, yeah. yeah, it's mm. a little little Easter egg in there. I didn't recognize it. I, I just saw somebody else posting about that the, today. I did not recognize that character, but apparently the one. Who has this sort of one cybernetic eye? Apparently, is in scenes yeah, with yeah. Uh, Saw Gerrera and, and Rogue One. Another connection. Yeah. What are you, Jaime? What uh, what, what do you want to see? What, what do you think? What do you think is going to be a satisfying ending for this first season? You know, that's a good question. I I do think that if um, if they want to have somebody exit the show, blaze a glory style, I could see Luthen doing it in in kind of a. You know, I'm I'm just another brick in the wall kind of thing. This is for the greater good. I knew everything I was going to do was, uh, you know, going to make things a better place for not me because I won't be around to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's had that sort of negative, uh, pessimistic attitude around it, and I, I kind of wonder if that's they're setting up for. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's funny because the metaphor that they use over and over again in Rogue One is that hope is what drives a rebellion. And that's not really what we've seen in this so far, right? It's not so much about hope. It's about, you know, sacrifice. It's about so many other things. I wonder if we we will see a tonal shift at some point where where it is more about, you know, faith and trust and hope and and more the rebellion that I think we we have in our minds and less just the sort of, you know, do it till you die or do it till you're caught kind of mentality. You know, to take a, a quote from a different show, 
I wonder if it would work here in a different context, and that's, uh, you know, history remembers names, it doesn't remember blood, might mm-hmm. sort of fit in with the idea of the the hope is what, what sells it, but it's got to be driven with a lot of blood in the form of sacrifice, right? We uh, we have, you know, even Mon Mothma in, you know, Return of the Jedi, hey, uh, many Bossons died to get us this um seemingly useful turns out spoilers useless information it was all a trap uh, you could make a star wars series about that it'd basically be a micro version of uh of rogue one right they uh whoever the bothans are they they sacrifice themselves so that they could get you know the the secret plans to the death star the new death star and it turns out it was just palpatine like leaving it you know on a coffee room table or something yeah, <laughs> the, with, yeah. with the big old top secret symbol on top of it it's going to say in a, in a bag with a dollar sign on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, either way, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how they bring, how they bring this in for a landing. And I'm, I'm heartbroken almost that it's, it's ending, even though it's been an amazing ride. I'm like, Oh God, I want more. Yeah. I want more. Yeah, definitely. Right there with you. Right there with you. Watch list. Let's do the watch list. Alrighty. So I was, um, I don't know if I think I saw this on, Slack channel or something like that. Somebody posted this. Um, it's from the Internet Archive, but um, it's a Bernie Taupin, actually, who's, you know, um, Elton John's writing partner, actually introduces the singer of this. Can I call it a singer? Um, singer of this cover from, um, I don't know, like a music awards or something like that. But but the singer is none other than William Shatner and singing or emoting maybe rocket man oh i've seen that Doesn't actually, oh, it, yeah no melody comes out of his mouth it's mm-hmm. all just you know uh him just you know with a cigarette um rock it just, yeah man. yes it's it's yeah. it's exceptional it's exceptional is what it is it, it's it's a really fun watch it's painful but it's fun definitely worth a watch uh, I had for my watch list this week just a reminder that uh, Rick and Morty is back after its little mini hiatus. They 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 did mm-hmm. a few episodes already this season, and then they took a, a little bit of a break. They're back on Sunday, so if you uh, you need to set your PBR or otherwise, then uh, yeah, it's already set. More Rick and Morty coming this week, which is uh, never a bad thing, and uh, mm-hmm. have to to sit down and catch up with that at some point soon. Oh, you haven't, you haven't been watching the season? No, it was one of the few series that uh, that myself and my sons all watched together. We had been pretty oh. pretty good at watching it together, but uh, my youngest yeah, has not yeah. been in a television-watching mood the last little while, so we've kind of just been waiting for him to make an appearance and say, sure, let's watch it. So, hmm. Yeah, I've been, I've been keeping up with it. It's, it's an interesting season. I think there was, I think they did four episodes, right? Yeah. Four or five episodes. Yeah, one one of them was kind of weak in my opinion, but the rest were rest were really good. So, yep. Yeah, just waiting. I can't wait for the rest of it. I've I've watched them a couple of them again, like more than once, because they were just that good. Definitely cool. And what you got first, Jaime? Mine is uh, Mythic Quest season three. They've uh, had a couple episodes out. They launched a couple episodes last week. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, they'll have the third episode. So that's on Apple TV Plus. So uh, I am a wait. Am I a subscriber again? No, I have the freebie. That's right. Technically a subscriber, but I pay no money. At the moment, forget why that was there. It was in my my Apple Wallet thing. But nevertheless, I have access to, uh, to Apple TV Plus. So I'm watching uh, Mythic Quest, and you probably should too if you enjoyed the first two seasons. That's still on my catch up list. Yeah. Is that is that out now or? 
Yes, they they dropped right. the first two episodes okay. uh, last Friday, mm. and then this coming Friday they'll have the the third episode, and I think they're just going weekly from there. Yeah, I might I might go and watch that one. Um, and the Crown is back, like I said. I think I mentioned that earlier, didn't I? Yes. No, did I? No, I thought. I think I was talking to Carol about that one. So I guess that's it for another week. And so if people get in touch with you, Jonathan, how would they do that? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPKeynews or on YouTube as youtube.com slash at JPK. And hi, mate. People want to get in touch with you or they find you. I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. All right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on all the things, including Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, that like that. Yeah. But Twitter is probably the best place get a hold of me until next time we'll see you in the future bye 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 you've been listening to the spotcast podcast if you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes visit the spotcast website at spotcast.com you can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on twitter at spotcast if you have feedback or questions send us a tweet with the hashtag ask spotcast if you like the show please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Twitter exploration front from you guys this week. We we've, we've been having conversations on a regular basis about what next. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I think I was telling you yesterday in the car that oh, you know what we didn't talk about we didn't talk about. Uh, oh, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, we didn't. We we do the spoiler free discussion about uh, that, Black Panther. That was uh, the second rule of Wakanda, right? That's it. There's no talking about Wakanda. Yeah, no talk about Wakanda. Yeah. We don't talk about Bruno, and we don't talk about Wakanda either. <laughs> so, Jaime, we went and saw the uh, Black Wakanda. Panther, yeah. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever last night. Mm-hmm. Nice. It was, I thought, pretty good. Yeah, I think um, it was a really, really hard position for all involved to be in to try and continue a franchise in the absence of its star. It was almost a Kobayashi Maru. Like, there really was not much you could do to win in this situation. But I think they did, given what they had to work with, I think they did the best that they could, and I think they did a good job of it. I think that there was enough enough emotional heft, there was enough good performances, there was some good pew-pew-pew. Like, I think it was about as good as I could have hoped for, given what they had to work with. But that being said... Not having the closure of an actual end or a proper end for the arc of T'Challa is is still feels unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's sort of yeah, where it, I'm struggling. Yeah, I think um, for me it was it, it, it felt a bit bit fan servicey in a lot of 
lot of parts of it, right? I mean, like it's you know the big question: how how are we going to fill the void? Was literally a question they were saying out loud, you know, throughout the whole thing. Um, you know, they kept they kept talking about this void of of you know the Black Panther no longer being around, right? Yeah, um, they, they they kind of like didn't really go into sort of an ex- exposition on to how they got to this position, other than that, then the king was sick, sort of thing. Um, you know, uh, they didn't even try to go through that, you know, kind of explain what happened. Like, I mean, if, if you, again, I always look at this from the point of view of fresh eyes. Like, what if this is the first time I've ever seen any, you know, Marvel movie or first time I've ever seen this franchise? Like, you know, um, how lost would I be, you know, um, without, without the contact, right? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, it's, 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 you're absolutely right, Tim. This is definitely one of those ones where some of these... I, even after 20 plus movies, getting close to 30 movies in this Marvel continuum now, plus all the TV shows, plus, 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 there are still parts that you could just sit down and watch, you know, or, or show to someone who doesn't understand what's happening in the bigger picture, all the different connective tissue, and still say this is a thing. This is not one of them. You really have to come in knowing th- that, uh, you know, what has happened in the previous Black Panther movie, what has happened in the uh, Battle of Wakanda in Avengers Infinity War, you you really need to have context, or the whole thing makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's, uh, there's some great performances. Angela Bassett was amazing. Uh, Letitia Wright is really good. Um, the, the new actor whose name I would butcher. Um, so, so I'm going to get Jaime to say it. I mean, what's the name of the guy who plays Namor? Oh, I gotta look him up. Let me see. Uh, bu- bu- bu. Here is. Yeah, yeah, now you know how to pronounce his name too, John. Right? It's he's it, spelled T E N O C H, and then I think the last name is Huerta. Jose Tenoch. 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 So this is a challenging one because he is presumably from a a a part of Mexico that that has more of that blend. So they didn't go, so, you know, uh, spoilers for anybody who's not followed any sort of like history of Mexico. It's a blend of, uh, you know, central American, uh, natives and Spaniards, right. Who came across from the, from the old world into the new world. And uh, like myself, so I'm Jaime Lopez. There is, um, name wise, pretty much all, you know, Spanish heritage there. That's probably pretty true for a lot of folks that you might think of being from like Mexico. In this case, this gentleman has, you know, Huerta, which is a pretty common uh, Spanish last name. But that first name immediately strikes me as, as native. So I don't know how that's properly pronounced. I think it's like Tenoch or something, uh, like Tenochtitlan kind of thing. But that is one of those weird areas of, uh, of, of like, did you know? <laughs> It's not all uh, Gonzalez's and Lopez's kind of thing in Mexico. <laughs> so I, I, I don't actually know. I'd have to see that guy say his name because it's, it's a native name. Um, it's kind of like, uh, what's the, let me go find the kid from uh, Cobra Kai. Yeah. So I think he's, his character in the movie is supposed to be from uh, native to the Yucatan Peninsula. So Southern Mexico. And I, and I guess that is where they have cast this actor from. Yeah. Um, Solo Mariduena is... One that is is a little bit closer, Maridueña. Sorry, Maridueña is is a little bit closer to being that sort of um, native one. So I know that dude's American, but like somebody somewhere in his family tree has a name like that. 
Yeah. That's what I'm guessing. He's probably named after like a, like a grandfather or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was quite good as the bad guy. It, it, you know, we talk about it and it is, you know, just like we talk about the prequel problem, we talk about uh, good villains make good movies, right? You, you have to have a compelling villain. And, and he actually did a pretty good job of he's not without his points, right? He's, he's got a fair point and that's what makes good villains. You know, uh, you know, it's the Thanos was right theory, right? Uh, there's a case to be made for what Namor in this movie is, is trying to do. And that makes him a really compelling character. And it makes for some compelling drama because you obviously are, are coming in with an embedded attachment to the Wakandans. But, you know, when they come into conflict with, with Namor and his people, you're like, eh, they don't get, they don't, it's not that they don't have a point, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, so, so yeah, it, it's definitely worth and worth watching. It's definitely uh, a strong movie. I don't know that it's as strong as the initial Black Panther. There are some good twists, and there is certainly lots of good pew pew pew. Uh, I mean, Marvel doesn't make terrible movies very often, and it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. What they decide to do next, how they decide to continue with some of the things that they've done in here, some of the characters, you know. Uh, I'll be curious to see how they continue to sort of build on this this storyline that they they put together. But ultimately, when you when you give them the grain of salt of the fact that you know that the option number one, which is Chadwick Boseman comes back and they have another blockbuster, is off the table, this is about as good as I think you could have hoped for. And and that's saying a lot, considering you know, man, it, it must have taken them a long time to figure out how to try and do this the right way. Interesting. Um, in a non-spoilery way, to to focus on the Namor thing, is he um, is he closer to like a Killmonger, or is he closer to like a Thanos? Philo- philosophically, not powers wires or anything. I'm trying to gauge the, you know, hey, he's got some he's got some good points there, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a little more. I mean, he is a he's a, he is a mutant. He is a super being, and he's a very powerful one at that. But he is definitely more of a, um, he's definitely more cut from both of those cloths, which is to say, I mean, we're talking about two of the best realized villains in that Marvel has put out so far, right? Thanos and, and Killmonger were both two of, of the top villains they created, both because in both cases, they're, they're not entirely wrong. Uh, I think Namor is cut from that same cloth. He's not, I would say, as stoic about it as as Thanos he's more like Killmonger in that he's more impassioned and f- fired up about it like he is a a passionate believer not a dispassionate believer like Thanos cool but I, yeah it's he's he's a good out. character and um and it'll be interesting to see what they do now that they've introduced the concept of of him and his people into the Marvel sort of landscape where that goes, how it ties in. Obviously, there's, you know, a lot of history between Namor and the Fantastic Four. Namor, you know, later on in, in comics canon becomes an Avenger. There's there's a lot of different places they could go with that character. And he's always been on that sort of, he kind of marches to the beat of his own drummer, even throughout, I've read dozens and dozens of Namor comics over the years. He's He's always kind of um, been a complex character, not necessarily a good guy, not necessarily a bad guy. He does what he thinks is right, and he is willing to sort of stand behind those principles. 
And sometimes that puts him into conflict with the bad guys, and sometimes it puts him into conflict with the good guys, and, you know, he doesn't see himself as this black and white character. He sees himself in this world of gray where, you know, it's it's about the right decision for him and his people, and he doesn't really care who he comes into conflict about that, and that's how they portray him here. Very, very well realized, I thought. And I like, you know, it's I've seen a little pushback already on the in some of the comics communities, just given that I don't think people are necessarily upset about the... Uh, the fact that he's gone from being a, a, a light-skinned character to a, a brown-skinned character as, as somebody who's, you know, a Southern Mexican. But I do think that there are some people who weren't as wild about it being sort of more focused on Mesoamerican uh, origins, because they do really sort of tie it into, you know, uh, his people were sort of, you know, of that area, and then they found life under the sea for different reasons, which I won't go into. But... Um, there were some people who were like, well, that kind of changes the whole origin story, and there's no, it's not really the same thing as the comic books and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I gotta be honest, I, I don't care less. I actually found this much more fulfilling, especially because it was an interesting cultural comparison to the world that they've shown us in Wakanda. It really felt like we were seeing two sides of a coin. You know, the Wakandans who had hid themselves in the continent of Africa, who had evolved all this technology based on their special abilities and everything else, and uh, Tolokan, the, the city that, uh, Namor and his people are from is very much feels like the same thing. It's a hidden city. It's sort of uh, it's only had its own influences. It's kind of its own sort of little insular world. And they're both sort of taking their first steps into the outside world it, as a juxtaposition, as a, as a contrast to one another, uh, as, as I say, to two sides of the coin. I, I really I thought that was was very, very skillfully done in a way that I don't think if they'd gone to a more traditional comics type background for him, it would have been nearly as resonant. So I think it was smart. I think it was smart and it was good. And I think I, I am in the credits for this movie. They say introducing uh, this, this um, Jose Huerta, um, uh, Huerta Mejia. Um, I had never seen him anything before, but he was, yeah, he had, yeah. he had gravitas. He had a real presence um, yep. that was, you believed that he was uh, a nobleman. You believed that he was a leader. He 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 definitely carried that over. Uh, and again, this is his first sort of major role. Bravo! Very cool. Might have to see about checking that out during these holiday time periods. And if not, I believe forty-five days after November eleventh is uh, is Boxing Day, December twenty-sixth. Oh yeah, you think that's when it's coming to? Uh, that'd be an interesting development. Well, we know it can't be sooner than that, right? Given the yep. the promises yep. they've made, so that's the that's when the clock starts ticking. It did occur to me last night as we were watching it. I was thinking, I wonder what movie it will take to get Jaime to want to go back to a movie theater. What? Oh, he still hasn't been back to the theater yet. I haven't. Uh, have I been back to a theater? Let me think about that. Is that true? Yeah, I haven't been back to a theater yet since 2019, right? Or, or early 20, early 2020 or late 2019. I got to think real really? long and hard about what the the last movie I saw before the the pandemic started. Well, hopefully they come up with a new Paw Patrol or something. <laughs> Was it Spider-Man Far From Home or no? Far from no, home, I, I, I ended up seeing that one uh, on digital. Because that came out in the that, that winter, I think. Boy, I have no idea. Hopefully I have it in like uh, Fandango tickets or something. Maybe I'll take a look at my accounts and see. See if I can figure it out. But yeah, it's but it's, it's been quite a while, and I was thinking about that last night. I was thinking, yeah, you've you've definitely passed up on a, on a few of these Marvel 
movies. Obviously, I haven't done a Star Wars movie in the theater for a few years, so there's there's not that. But I yeah, I wondered I wondered in my mind as I was watching, I was thinking this is really good. Jaime would like this. I wonder if he's going to see it. I wonder what would take to get Jaime to be like, yeah, I'll sit in a room full of people and <laughs> not, not sit in the comfort of my own house. I think this year, uh, you know, I'm going to go visit the family in, in Texas. There's probably going to be something, but I, I'm kind of struck that there really isn't that much coming out uh, this this holiday season theater exclusive. So um, Black Panther presumably will still be around. Um, Avatar will be uh, will be out yeah that's coming out on like the 13th or something which yeah that'll be the big christmas time movie i think mm-hmm. and if my mother uh, you know is any indication disney's really missing out on not starting up the star wars film hype train because every year she asks me is there another star wars movie coming out I'm like no no mom they're all they're all going uh, into tv right now they haven't done any any movies for a while yeah yeah, I mean, really, this this winter season, I'm just taking a quick look, and it's, yeah, it's, uh, Disney's got that Strange World coming, which looks interesting, but again, I'll totally just watch that on Disney+. Plus. Uh, yeah, Avatar is the big thing that's still upcoming after after Black Panther. Black Adam was the big Warner Brothers release. Mm-hmm. And then, then you're into, uh, you're into uh, award season stuff, right? There's lots of award season stuff coming up in the... In the next couple of months, because everybody wants to try and get on the award train. And now that I think of it, we're almost ready for another another edition of the Spock. Well, I was just going to say, the Spockies are coming up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We did get to see, uh, before the movie, they showed us a few trailers. They showed us the trailer for uh, Avatar again, the, the more fulsome trailer that we talked about last week. But they also showed us the full trailer on the IMAX screen for the uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, which, it looks pretty good on a giant screen, i got to be honest. It looks pretty good. Yeah, kind of made. Well, the one thing though, the one thing that was disappointing though was this: this was not shown in 3D, so we didn't get to watch the the Avatar trailer in 3D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand mm. that. We did get to see the John John Wick trailer on the on the IMAX screen too. Last week, Jaime, we talked about seeing uh, John Wick in the theaters, and it looks pretty good on an X size screen. I'll be honest. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, yeah, there's not. Uh... It's not really till next year that we start getting into more sort of eventy kind of movies. There's, you know, obviously a ton of stuff coming next year between the Marvels of it all and, uh, yeah, Super Mario, Indiana Jones 5, although, ugh, um, new Shazam, new John Wick, new Spider-Man, uh, far from, uh, uh, across the Spider-Verse, the animated one, uh, new Hunger Games, new Transformers, new Mission Impossible, new Dune, Flash... Yeah, so there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff coming next year. Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. Blue Beetle. The Meg 2. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's been a minute, though, right? Since the first Meg. Has it been like a decade? It feels like a while. <laughs> no, but it was definitely pre-pandemic because I, I was writing for Cineplex at that point. And I wrote a piece about the Meg uh, comparing movie shark sizes. So this just in. Beep, 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 beep. This just in. The Star Trek Picard online auction is going on right now. Oh, I saw that. I meant to bring that up. I saw that. It was really weird, some of the stuff that they had on mm-hmm. offer. So November 15th to, uh, yeah, I got to switch this over to my Mac. Yeah, they posted a, a, a brief article about it on StarTrek.com earlier this week. And then you click through the link, you can actually, it's just like the one we saw before where they were selling off uh, classic collection stuff. But in this case, obviously, it's all just tied to that one series because it's finished filming. So they don't need it, all that stuff anymore, I guess. It's in England, I guess, because it's all um, pounds. 
Oh, some Leonard Nimoy stuff. Oh, the Leonard Nimoy collection. I, mean, I think we talked about that. His, his camera collection his wife is selling. Mm -hmm. Can I scroll? Oh, I can scroll through these. A 2360 Starfleet Com badge. Yeah, those go for like a nickel, right? Yeah. Romulan Black Ops Static Open Sneak Attack Disruptor. The Guinan meeting Jean-Luc Picard costume. They, there was actually a few of the props from her bar were really cool. They had like the uh, like Saurian brandy bottles and stuff like that. Those were pretty neat. Yeah. Those were pretty neat. Got a 10-4 bottle in it. Yeah. Huh. Seven of nine light up phaser rifle. Ooh. Doesn't, doesn't, can't figure out how to scroll through these. Oh, we can get a, a, a case of Chateau Picard. Projet, Produit de France. Mm hmm. Is it just a. A, a fake bo uh, fake bottles because remember last year they were actually releasing real real booze bottles with that no, it's stuff. A, it's a wooden a wooden crate, so I would assume it's got got to have booze in it. Featured lots. Yeah, this hasn't really got much. Um, I guess you have to hit the bid now to see what's going on. We're going in. <laughs> Jean Luc Picard's current bid two hundred twenty five dollars for his uh, Jean Luc Picard number one dog collar tag. <laughs> yes. Gonna you need that. 350 bucks. Put that on your dog. Everybody knows. 350 bucks, yeah. Lose it in the sewer drain. <laughs> Curse your luck. Yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the the uh, crates are just empty crates. The uh, the wine crate. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because you remember last year they were selling, like, I can't remember where they were from, but you could buy, like, actual wine with the labels and the bottles and the whole thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got Starfeed outfits and picture of uh soji and dao asha daystrom institute uh id badge Ooh. yeah you remember last week i was talking about daystrom and he, i guess he's the guy that that they named the daystrom institute uh, institute after yep sure create one killer robot and they name things after you yeah well, it wasn't killer robot it was m5 mm. well, i guess it's killer computer mm -hmm. yeah they call these things stunt costumes i guess these are the ones worn by the um stunt doubles yeah the three musketeers book that uh he read or was reading, I guess, when he got interrupted. Yep. Mm -hmm. At least you wouldn't have to worry about, like, you know, having the right look when you go to Comic-Con and stuff. <laughs> You're, I don't think that's really accurate. Well, actually. As a matter of fact. The problem is, is that uh, I, I don't, I must admit, I don't know. I've never looked it up how tall some of these people actually are. But so yeah. many performers are actually, like, not large human beings. So... No. You have to be really careful. Like, I, the only wardrobe stuff that I would buy online would be Jeff Goldblum's, you know, like, yeah. I'll wear his used used uniforms, therefore I'd be fine fitting in them. Mm. Was he in Star Trek? Uh, no, he was not. But, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure he's got something in his repertoire that I could wear. I need the mm -hmm. Ian Malcolm uh, shirt open, heaving chest uh, meme from uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah. Starfleet headquarters visitor badge? Oh, that's yeah. Because remember, he's not. He he has to go back in and mm -hmm. yeah. try and make his case, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, he does the way to get get the legit stuff. It only costs like an arm and a leg, literally. Well, the bids aren't that high, really. I guess I guess we're we're still eleven days eleven days away from the end of the auction, so prices will get driven up by before then. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm. Cool. All right. Should we call it? What do you want to say? Uh. Yep. Sounds Not good. Bad idea. Not okay. a bad idea. Yep. I'll talk to All you right. guys later. All right. Talk to you next week. Yep. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep. Thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep. I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow. That's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.